The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. And what's up, everybody? This is Dex with the I Am Pits podcast, and I'm finally back after definitely not going to say a brief hiatus, but an unfortunate hiatus. A lot going on over here. And to make matters worse, me and my family, we got the crud. It started with me last week, and as you can tell, my voice is extra deep and extra raspy. Actually sounds good. I actually sound like a man for a change. Maybe I should stay sick, but... So now, man, you know, I actually I'm actually pushing myself to do this podcast because one, I'm tired. I'm exhausted Two, I actually have to go work overtime tonight. And I really don't want to work overtime tonight because it's kind of pointless because it's not going to count as overtime because I had to take a sick day to take care of my kids the other day and be a good and decent parent in this life. And now I'm pretty much just going to work because I said I would be there to help. And so, and today and tomorrow night, so doesn't count as overtime for me. Not very happy about it, but somebody's got to go do the job. But before I go and do my actual job, I wanted to get back to the to my podcast because it's been a while. And I know everybody's thinking, man, what's been going on with this dude? He's been gone. Trust me, I've been trying to get back. But currently at this point in the season of my life, not just my life, but just the country and the police department. You know, we are just currently in a season of struggle and a season of work and all the above. One of my favorite Bible verses is Ecclesiastes chapter three, where it says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Well, currently, guess what? I am in a season of work right now and I'm focusing on some personal financial goals for my family. Why? Because. That is my responsibility, not the responsibility of the government. So I have been recently prioritizing my family and work over the podcast. Ain't got nothing to do with y'all. I love y'all and I wish I could do this every day. Unfortunately, I don't have the energy and the time always to sit and put out a podcast once a week. I wish I could. Lord knows if I could, I would. But it's been kind of rough and difficult to do because I've been picking up a crap ton of overtime been picking up some off-duty side gigs, and that is because I am trying to survive just like everybody else in Biden's economy. That's right. I'm t- I got to pay the gas prices just like everybody else. And I say, everybody think I got this book money and I'm rich. Let me tell you, that is not the case. Not even close. I say, I ain't broke, but I ain't poor either. But, you know, and I definitely don't want to be poor. So, like I said, you know, now's the time for me to take advantage of our staffing shortages and just all the money that is out there right now. Like I'm just in, I'm in a season of work, man. And I'm going to do what I got to do. And I had a, actually, I had a decent job the other night working downtown Louisville at a distillery. And I'm not going to say the distillery's name, but they treated me well and they paid me real well to do nothing but sit there and scare off and terminate an employee. But the best part about this off-duty gig and how it came about was 
I was the officer that made the initial run to the location in reference to an employee that had been terminated and was acting crazy and destroying property. You know, so I with my partners make the run a couple times and I can tell that they're terrified and they're scared of this guy. Rightfully, rightfully so. He seems a little bit unhinged. You know, so we go and do the investigation. We get his picture and his info. You know, they take out a report on the guy so they can file charges later for damaging equipment. And then the manager tells us this guy keeps coming back around. He just gets in his car and drives around the location. You know, he's just terrorizing us and we're terrified. You know, and they were like, man, I think we need off duty officers. And as soon as I heard that, the sound of money, my ears perked up. I was like, really? All right, then. Well, let's do this. You know, so have my off days come up and even better was. So before I go to work that job, they tell me that they believe the guy is still in the area and I'm handling a call at a random location downtown. Nothing to do with the distillery. Not too far from the distillery, but still in the proximity of it. And I'm just sitting there talking to these four homeless guys. Just honestly, just nothing police related. Just having a good time chatting, man. Just chatting with the people. And I look over and I see this guy. And I look at him. And I'm like, hey, did you just get fired from that distillery? Yeah, how you know that? I was like, man, is your name blank blank? He's like, yeah, that's my name. How you know that? I was like, look, man, you know what? Right now, I could be mad at you for terrorizing these poor people at this place where you got fired from. Because I don't like when people mess with people. But for the first time in my career, I actually thanked a suspect. And like I said, I can't arrest this guy because it's a misdemeanor that did not occur in my presence. Nothing I can do about it. And you know, plus, this is like a day or two later. So, you know, he's, he's not wanted on fresh charges and they hadn't even filed a warrant. So I took this as a moment to let him know my thankfulness. I told him, I was like, look, man, two things. One, don't go back over there. Leave these people alone. Two, I want to tell you, thank you. He's like, thank you. He looks at me perplexed and puzzled. Like, why are you telling me thank you? I was like, my man, because of your foolishness, I'm making a lot of money on my next two days off. You don't understand this economy. The gas prices, I got a, an a, a anniversary coming up this month. I got my daughter's birthday. I got a lot going on financially. And my man, you just, your foolishness just helped me a whole lot. And as I'm telling him this, the five homeless guys I'm sitting there talking to just bust out laughing. They're like, yo, did this dude, officer really just thank this dude for being an idiot? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because this is just in the nick of time. This is going to help me. Make some faces really happy. Now, I'm going to be the hero in my family's life. I'm going to be the hero in my, my wife's eyes again. And my daughter's going to love me for her birthday present. Yes, I did thank him. But I also gave him a stern talking to. And I don't know if that talking to got through. Because this man's a little bit, no, he's a lot of bit crazy. He's very upset that he was fired. He thinks he was fired because he was black. And he has a vendetta against these people. And I was like, look, man, do me a favor. Don't, just let it go, bro. Just let it go. Just let it go. Because trust me, if you come over there and you ruin my day, my easy money, I am going to ruin your day. And I'm going to take you to jail for trespassing. And you've already been told by them that you're not welcome back. So don't do it to me. Don't ruin my easy money. Don't ruin my easy day off. And, well, I didn't see him the two days I was there. If he came back after I left, I don't know. Not my problem. But he was not there when I was there. 
So I am patiently waiting for that check to come in so I can make some wonderful, beautiful things happen for my beautiful family. And, you know, typically I hate working off duty because I would much rather be home with my family and I would much rather be doing my podcast. But there's like I said, you know, there's no better time to take advantage of the current state of policing in America right now. And now when I say the current state of policing, if you're not actively a cop, you might not understand what that means. But if you are a cop or if you know somebody that's a cop that's close to you, I'm sure you have heard them complaining recently about the way things are right now, because it is definitely a very, very, very interesting time in America. And it's an interesting time to be a police officer in this country right now. Things are. I don't even know the word to say, but I'll say things are different, different from how I started and different from how I remember things. You know, the, the current environment and the current police department, the current officers, even myself, everything's different, you know, and it's it's a trying time. It's a hard time right now being an officer in a uniform. And anybody that says it's not. Well, I want to know where you working at to where you're not feeling any of this, because everything that's been going on the past few years, you know, it has affected all of us in this profession. And more than anything, it's affected our staffing levels, man. I mean, we are hurting for numbers for hurting for officers here in Louisville, but so is every other major department across the country. This ain't just unique to here in Louisville. It's everywhere. You know, I was talking to my wife the other day and I was just telling her how tired I am. You know, I'm not tired of the job. I'm not tired of policing. I'm just literally physically exhausted. And and I was trying to figure out why am I so much more tired now? You know, I understand I'm getting older and I'm not in the greatest shape ever in my life, but I'm still in shape and I can still go when it, when it's time to go. Yeah, but I just realized after my shifts, man, I'm just like beat down and tired. I don't want to do anything. And I've always worked in the roughest part of the city. I've always worked a lot of hours, but the exhaustion I'm feeling now is different. And I told my wife, I realized the other day, like we're doing more work with less cops. We're handling more calls with less officers. You know, it used to be this job working in a very busy area, even in the most violent section of town, we would get calls all the time, yo, but you'd had officers to help you handle the load. You know, you'd have a traffic car, you'd have a report taker. You know, and, and I can actually go and focus on doing police work proactivity. You know, but now it's not like that. Now it's like, you know, we come to roll call and it's just you're looking around and you're looking at the roster like, oh, how many people we got today? Seven, eight, like what? You know, and we get excited when it's like nine, ten people. And that's never been a thing where I've, where I've worked. Being excited about having nine, ten officers. I remember when I started, we used to come in, we would have like maybe 20 up to 20 people, 18, you know, and then our minimums were like 12. We would have to have a minimum of 12 officers to operate. Now we don't Now We're below minimums every day, every shift, you know, and then as soon as you go to your car, you look at the call screen, man, the screen is just filled with calls already for people calling for service, people that need the police. You know, and even if the call is false and it's stupid, you know, it's just another thing you have to do on top of keeping your videos categorized on top of staying on top of your court, your administrative paperwork, signing your policies. The sergeant wants to talk to you about this. Somebody needs your help with that. 
then you have to try to figure out when you're going to have time to go to the bathroom and eat during your shift. You know? And like I said, this never used to be the case. We've always been busy, but we are at a level of busy now that I can't even explain. And, you know, by the time my shift is over, I am literally worn out. I don't want to do anything police related or see anything police related when I'm done because I am worn out. And one of my older partners I work with, he's retired and come back. And he said the same thing. He's like, I don't ever remember it ever being like this. You know, he's, he's tired. Dude, I'm tired. Everybody's tired. We're frustrated, man. You know how frustrated it is when you get up and you're feeling good about going to work and then you come to work and you see all your buddies, yo, then you realize, no, this is it for today. You know what? We're going to take it a call at a time today, everybody. One call at a time. And don't, we're not dying for this place. We're definitely not, you know, we're not dying over something stupid because we don't have enough cars. We don't have enough officers. You know, and then to make it worse, you know, it's it's hard to get a day off. It's hard to get a vacation day because we're so short. And then when you do take it, you kind of feel bad because it's like, man, I know I know my peeps need me back on the streets. You know, but what about my family? You know, what about what about my my exhaustion? What about my mental health? You know, but, you know, and then you just see how low the morale is everywhere. You know, everywhere I go, officers feel defeated. Officers feel like they don't have a purpose. Then you get some young officers that get on a specialized team or like me, I'm on SRT. Then we have training, but guess what? You can't attend training. Why? Because we don't have enough officers on the street and the patrol takes priority of any over anything. So you can't go attend training, you know, training that's going to help you make you better and further and advance your career because we, we can't afford to lose the body on the street. And this is just being become the norm. And what makes it even worse is you know, just seeing people, you know, that are great officers get hired by another place and leave or they just leave the profession altogether. And you're just sitting there like, man, another good officer gone. If this guy's leaving and gone, what chance do any of us have? If this guy, you know, if the police department is letting these people walk and not fighting to keep them here, that's a problem. And that crushes morale. And if anything, you know, the 12-hour shifts are long. I hate the 12-hour shifts. The 12-hour shifts we're doing now are made worse just because, like I said, you're, you, we are running and gunning from the start of shift to the end of shift it, with, a, with hardly any break in the middle. You know, we, we get lucky if we get to break for lunch and have lunch as a squad. That's a good day. And them good days don't come as often. And with the current, you know, the current heat wave and all this going on, man, I mean, we have been literally slaughtered every day and it takes my joy away coming to work because it's just I just know I'm going to go to work and I'm going to be overworked and I'm going to be exhausted and tired. And when I know that when I get off and done, I'm not going to have any time to spend with my family because I'm going to go straight to sleep. And then, like I said, I'm trying to take advantage of this time and now I'm working on my days off away from my family. But like I said, I know it's temporary, but still it sucks. But, you know, that's a personal choice I'm making. That's my personal choice. So I can't complain too much. But still, you know, it's just. I wish work wasn't the way things weren't the way it were right now. I really wish things were different. And man, something else that hurt me the other day, I was talking to a young officer. Man, I think it was a week ago or the week before when I learned that our night shift. In one of the busiest divisions 
in the city, most violent, most violent divisions. We, I learned that our night shift had four cars. There's five beats and we only had four cars. Yeah, they had some other additional units, the downtown area patrol, my old unit to kind of come and help out, yo. But I was like, that's unacceptable. It's dangerous. Dangerous. What are you going to do with four officers in an area where the minimum used to be 12? What do you do as an officer? When you got a dangerous situation, there's only four of you and you're outnumbered. What do you do? And, you know, I told these new guys when I saw them when I was leaving that night, you know, they were like, man, we don't know. I was my my thing to them was like, look, don't die for this place. If you got to die for some kids or something, yeah, do what you got to do. But don't die for this department because they're going to throw you the little funeral. You know, they're going to throw some flowers away and throw some money at your family. yo. But this place will move on without you. And and if this place cared about you, it would have never let it got to gotten to where it's at right now. And where we're at right now in this profession on this department is a very, very, very dark and trying time. You know, I saw I got a text message from my buddy today. He was like, anybody willing to work overtime? We need bodies today and tomorrow in our area that we work on day work. My reply was, how many do you all have today? Six for five beats. Actually, we need bodies all weekend. And my reply to that was, yikes. Like, really, this is, you know, this is where we're at currently on the PD. And it's disheartening, you know. And and I talked to another young officer Guy I respect very much. I'm not going to say his name on the podcast, yo, but he's this guy's a stud, man. I mean, he left the PD and, and went to Florida, then came back, you know, and I was just talking to him about how upset I was about the current state of affairs of policing, you know, and especially in our police department here in Louisville, you know, just, you know, and I was just telling him how sad and sorry I was that they only had four cars. You know, but he told me he was like, you know, a lot of guys say they feel bad for us, man, but nobody stays to help. You know, and it hit me in the heart. And I was like, man, you know what? This dude is absolutely right. And nobody really stays to help. And we have officers that go and work overtime, but they don't work overtime in their divisions because nobody wants to work overtime downtown. Why? Because you're going to be running and gunning the entire time you're working overtime. So what does everybody do? Everybody flees to the suburbs to go work overtime where people pay for your lunch people wave at you with all five fingers and not just one uh, you don't have to worry working out in the county and out in the eighth division you know somebody pulling up to you and just yelling yo fuck 12 you don't got to worry about that out there yeah, but when you come work where i work you have to be switched on and turned on and ready at a moment's notice because the environment is just completely different and me personally i have not worked off you know overtime in these other areas outside of where I work. I just haven't. I'm not interested in it. One, it's a long drive for me. And two, if there's overtime in my division, you know, I'll work that if need be. And, uh, you know, so one day last week, I stayed over on my 12-hour day and I worked. I worked an additional four hours to help night shift from 8 to 12. And it, and it was a long day. But, man, by the time that 16 hours was up, I was no good to anyone. And, you know, effectiveness of a police officer. After eight hours in a police car, you let your guard down. I don't care who you are. You're tired. You know, you're exhausted. You're frustrated. You're not your best at 12 hours. 
And anything beyond 12 hours, you're just in struggle and survival mode. It's all aboard the struggle bus, baby. That's all that is. I'm there as a contingency in case it goes really bad. You know, I mean, 16 hours, man. I mean, I, I used to be able to work up to 20 hours, take a couple hours of sleep and bounce back and be good. Now at 38 and 10 years in the game, no, can't do it. You know, and I, as bad as I felt, I wish, I wish that I had the energy to be able to stay longer and help these guys more. And But I just, I, I don't have it in me anymore. I don't know if too many people that do have it in them. You know, the younger officers definitely do, but I personally, I just can't, man. And so I have other responsibilities outside of this uniform that matter a lot more to me than this job. And unfortunately, I love my brothers and sisters in blue, but there's only so much of a 38-year-old Dexter Pitts to go around. And I'm doing my best and trying my best to help out when and where I can. But, man, right now, like I said, we're all in this fight together. We are all in this struggle together. And it's hard. There's nothing easy about where we're at, you know. And, you know, they ran a story on the, the, the police department the other day, and the FOP was stating the numbers. And they said that we're short nearly 300 officers. And we have this month nearly 100 eligible to retire. And this is the big shocker that the FOP said. Staffing shortages since 2020. Huh. Why? Why have there been staffing shortages since 2020? Oh, that's right. The, the fund the police movement. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where did all our numbers go? That's right. Everybody left because the entire country, the media decided that, you know what? We're going to make the police America's public enemy number one. And now, guess what? The American populace is struggling and suffering because of that. I mean, just look at the crime across the country. Crime is up. Everything is trending up right now. Except hiring and staffing. That's continuing to trend down. You know, I saw an uh, article from the Chicago police that was uh, showed the staffing levels in Chicago. Said in 2019... 619 officers left and they only had 444 join join 2020 705 officers left and only had 161 join 2021 900 officers left 51 join and you see it ain't just Louisville but that's everywhere we are our numbers are not trending up you know I think we've already had 30 of the 100 that have already decided to retire and go out the door and it's just a matter of time before the others, the other 70, you'll just come go straight out the door. What's keeping them here? What reason do they have to stay with the liability that they have now when they've already got the retirement secure? What more money? They can go elsewhere and get certified and make money you know, without having their entire livelihood at stake. And then I came across this interesting article from the police tribune. It says New Orleans cop quits mid shift. Blaine's officer shortage says there's no backup. The name of the officer that that quit mid shift, his name was Scott uh, Fanning. And so I'm actually reaching out to him to try to see if I can get him as a guest on the podcast and hear a little bit more of his story and what led him to do what he did. You know, and I'm like, I can't stand in judgment of that man or anybody else that quits at this point in time in these current conditions. But he says, quoted from the article, the reason I left is that something just kind of clicked for me. That it just wasn't worth it, Fanning said. That night I quit. There were over 40 calls holding when I logged into my computer. And there were only 35 patrol officers logged in for all eight districts. 
Scott Fanning was an third-year officer, and he was assigned to the 8th District Policing the French Quarter and Central Business District. And he walked off the job last Friday in the middle of his night shift, notifying his supervisor by text message that he was quitting the force. And, you know, a lot of people will stand in judgment of him for that. But I'll say this. I said, I don't like how he quit, and I don't agree with the way he did it because, you know, you never know what you want to do down the line if you want to go back into police work. Eventually, you just never know. I, I wish he would have put in a two weeks notice, Joe. But like I said, he doesn't owe anything to that city. He doesn't owe anything to anybody. He was an employee there, not a slave. You don't have to give a two weeks notice. It's preferred. It's professional. It's the right thing to do, yo. But yeah, he doesn't know. He doesn't have to. And what gets me is leadership or quote unquote leadership. I say they love to throw that word around, but they had the nerve to step up and say he abandoned his post. He just walked out on his brothers and sisters in blue. He abandoned the citizens of New Orleans. He abandoned this department. And you know what? That made me mad coming from a police chief. And I I don't know much about the police chief, but I know big city politics. And for the last two years, police officers have been abandoned by their leadership for politics. I mean, we all feel abandoned. I feel abandoned by our leadership. I feel abandoned by our mayor. So how dare them try to hold this guy, this young officer accountable for working through conditions nobody should have to work through? And y'all want to hold him accountable? But what are you doing to critique yourself as leaders? Why are you not looking at yourself and saying, why are so many of our officers leaving and going out the door? Why do we have people willing to just quit by a text message? You don't do that to a place that you love and care for, you don't quit that way. But guess what? When that place doesn't love and care about you enough, you're going to return the same thing to it. And what that young officer did, he walked out on them just like they walked out on him. And you know what? I can, nobody can stand the judgment of him for doing so. Nobody. And so when I hear city leaders complain about the current conditions, look at your leadership the last two years and figure out why people are leaving and why conditions are currently the way they are. Leadership is everything. And the lack of leadership is toxic and leads to staffing shortages. The lack of leadership, man, it makes officers feel like they're not supported and not empowered. The lack of leadership and policing in this country has led to officers being maliciously prosecuted by these woke prosecutors and attorneys. And all the while, leadership, they're not under the gun. Leadership, they get to go home, drive home in their nice unmarked cars, go home to their big fancy houses, and they get to go home and look in their bank account and see that big check that they got and not hold themselves accountable before the men and women that they're supposed to be leading. And like I said, that's here too. That's in Louisville. And if there are any current LMPD leadership listening to this podcast, I challenge you, look at yourself and look at your leadership, look at your divisions, look at your platoons, look at your squads. What are you doing to lead your officers? What are you doing? Are you standing up for your officers? Are you encouraging and empowering your officers? Are you protecting your officers against bull crap that might come flying their way 
from when they're out doing real police work. And, you know, like I said, that's one thing I am very proud of is where I work in the first division with my major, Major Lauder, my lieutenants and my sergeants. I am very, very, very thankful. Now, I got accosted and pulled into the office the other day and they thanked me for the work that I do here and for how I handled this situation a couple months back. Like that was super encouraging. And I needed that. You know, I needed that more than ever because I've been on the fence about a lot of stuff in this profession personally, you know, and it's just that I needed that little boost and that little reminder that I'm doing something here worthwhile, not just for me and my city, but, you know, also the, the people I work with, you know, and for my command. And when they show me that type of respect and appreciation, guess what? I pay it back by the by the way I police and how I lead younger officers, even though I'm not necessarily in a leadership position. But, you know, I've never wanted to be a leader on this department, but as a person that has been around for as long as I have, which is 10 plus years is really not super long, but with the amount of officers we lost with experience, 10 years on the LMPD is a long time right now, especially when you have some squads where the most senior person has three, four years. I guess I don't, I didn't ask to be in this position, but this is the position that I'm currently in. And like, I said, I'm trying my best to help this place in any way that I can trying my best to help encourage young officers any way that I can. And I don't always get it right and do it right because I'm a human just like them. And I'm just as frustrated and I'm just as tired. And I want to see things change for the better. You know, and just seeing the low morale, it hurts. And seeing officers online and videos being dehumanized and feeling helpless and hopeless as criminals run the city fearless because they know that if they do get caught, nothing's going to happen to them. You know, that if the officer messes up one little thing, all that guy has to do, that criminal, is file a complaint, make a TikTok video, and say that these officers are racist and these officers are horrible people, and everybody will automatically rush to defend the criminal because that's where we're at. You know, there is no healthy fear of law enforcement anymore. We live in a nihilistic society now you know, where people don't care about law enforcement, people don't care about victims, and people do whatever the hell they want without repercussions. And I mean, New York City is a prime example of this. I've seen two videos that have come out of New York City over the last two weeks that absolutely break my heart for this profession. There was one video of a NYPD officer in a subway fighting this 16-year-old kid that is laying haymakers on him. And he's fighting back and fighting back. You know, and they finally get this kid under arrest and take this kid in. And guess what? They release this kid in a matter, in, in, in a matter of hours. He's released. And then the kid has the nerve to ask is he, if he can press charges on the cop because this kid jumped a turnstile, broke the law, and then fought an officer, which is a felony offense, and had the nerve because he's empowered. He feels like because he's young, because he's black, and that in this day and age that he is untouchable, that he can fight the law and win and still be a victim. And the judge that approved that kid being let out just proved that kid right in everything that, that that kid was thinking. Then we had an incident in New York City where I was looking at officers trying to arrest somebody. And then they started getting surrounded by a crowd. Next thing you know, people literally start squaring up on officers and fighting them without hesitation. Just like he's just some random dude walking down the street, not in uniform with no arrest power, just some random guy and just start fighting. So officers handle that. Next thing you know, you hear bottles start breaking. People start chucking bottles, glass bottles at the cops and the cops just stand there surrounded. 
and then they get their guy on arrest and they leave and nothing happens. You know, this is the current state of policing. I mean, we had an incident like this similar in Louisville. We had two young officers, great guys, had a guy pull a gun on them. And this guy that pulled the gun on the officers is still alive. The officers got to cover, call for backup. And during this incident, an LMPD commander came out and said, what happened? Hey, the guy, we know where he lives, that he went to that house. We're going to pull back and we're going to come. We're going to we're going to get a warrant on him. No. Hell no. Hell, I don't even know if I've already talked about it on this podcast. I might have. I don't know. I can't remember because there's just so much that happens within this profession that just leaves my jaw on the floor. Like, yo, did that really just happen? But yeah, when I heard that, I was like, no, 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 no. We are the police. We are the police. We are the law. You don't get to pull a gun on officers and then just go home and sleep peacefully in your bed. Yeah, that's just not the thing, you know, and everybody's mad at these officers. I'm like, I mean, these dudes ain't even been on the streets for a month solo, you know, barely over a month, maybe three months. They're still brand spanking new, man. But that is the environment that we have created for criminals to be comfortable, you know, and that's because we treat criminals with more respect than we do our victims and our officers. You know, and everybody, why does this keep happening? What is going on in America to where criminals are constantly being held and paraded as heroes and officers are just villains? And there is one name that comes to mind. And that name is George Soros. And so that you no, know, hearing that name is automatically going to turn some people off because here we go with the conspiracies. George Soros is at the center of all this. Well, guess what? I remember a point in time, yeah, you know, when I would hear the name George Soros and I'd be like, yo, man, chill out. Stop with the conspiracy stuff, you know, and everybody's all talking about George Soros is funding this and that. Well, he actually is. And he actually came out and talked about it. So it's no longer conspiracy. It is actually a fact now. But for years, George Soros has been funding district attorneys that are woke and very liberal and very progressive. And I have an article here that says George Soros vows he won't stop backing woke district attorneys despite urban crime spikes. It said left wing billionaire George Soros insisted Monday that soft on crime district attorneys he's backed to the tune of millions of dollars are making the criminal justice more effective and just and warned that I have no intention of stopping his support for them. In a Wall Street Journal op-ed that was published this past Sunday, a Manhattan district attorney named Alvin Bragg said that the agenda that's being pushed by top prosecutors was popular and effective. And the agenda includes prioritizing the resources of the criminal justice system to protect people against violent crime. It urges that we treat drug addiction as a disease, not as a crime. And it seeks to end the criminalization of poverty and mental illness. He wrote later adding the goal is not defunding the police, but restoring trust between the police and the police a partnership that fosters the solving of crimes. And in another article, it says Soros back DAs represent one in five Americans preside over 40% of nation's murders. The U S currently has 75 George Soros back back prosecutors overseeing half of America's 50 most popular cities, according to a new report from the law enforcement legal defense fund. And now we all know why crime is out of control. And crime is happening. I mean, you see it every day. 
I see it every day in Louisville where somebody gets murdered and somebody automatically gets off where somebody commits a crime and hurts somebody and that person gets bailed out on bail reform. This is why it's happening. And this is no longer a conspiracy. And he is telling you right now in real time that this is his intent. We are not safe with this dude around, man. And honestly, I hate looking at pictures of this old crispy dude 75 plus years old and I like I don't wish death upon many people but I am looking forward to the story that reads George Soros has died because this man is a parasite on America he is a parasite on everybody and he is making all of us unsafe by catering to criminals and coddling them and letting them back out into our communities to constantly reoffend and like I said people don't seem to care when they live in the nice side of town but until the crime comes to the nice side of town, you know what? They're not going to care. Guess what? Crime is spreading and it is eventually going to leak out into those areas. And it already has here in Louisville. And it's going to keep happening elsewhere around the country as well. And then, I, you know, leadership on the on these the police departments and in the cities, you know, the mayors and all this, man. These people are not leaders. Like I said, they're political hacks, police chiefs, a lot of political hacks. I know some of our higher up officers that are in leadership positions and some of them I actually do like and know and trust their leadership you know, but they can only do so much when the chief and the mayor are playing politics and we already know that police departments are hurting and we're not just hurting because we're losing officers but we're losing our most experienced and seasoned officers then I come across this article about the Columbus Police Department in Ohio and my jaw hit the floor again and that's like how can this be real New buyout approved for Columbus Police Department officers as city experiences cop shortage. Earlier this month, the last of 100 of the city's most experienced officers took 200,000 each to retire early. This week, the city is offering six deputy chiefs, 300,000 each to retire early. And the Columbus mayor is on record saying it's worth the tax dollars to change and reform the department. Mayor Andrew Gittner said departments across the country are feeling stretched and CPD is no different. When asked about why the city is paying for another buyout, Gittner said, we want Chief Bryant to make sure she has the people on her team that are going to change and reform the division. Take this from being the 20th century law enforcement organization to a 21st century community policing organization. Make our officers the defenders and guardians. I hate that term guardians not necessarily the warriors that they have been in the past you know and and i said it before on this podcast they want guardians but when you vow these type stuff happens then they want warriors you know these people can't make up their minds and you're already hurting for leadership but see that's the thing they don't want officers that are able to think for themselves and lead they want little robots they want woke progressive little robots in uniforms that are going to do their bidding and do everything that they want them to say and like I said, that has been my conspiracy with most police departments, even my own here in Louisville, that they're offering new recruits here in Louisville $8,000 to come here and $3,000 for a sign-on bonus if you're moving from out of state to help move. But they're not offering officers currently here anything to stay because I feel like they don't want us here. They're not going to say it outright, but guess what? Yeah. They want to bring in a new patch of young, impressionable officers that they can mold to this new way of thinking, this new progressive way of policing. That is clearly not working because we have more officers getting hurt 
more officers getting ambushed and more crime in our cities and more criminals on the loose. So, you know, the new, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's my thing. Yeah, there are some things that need to change about policing from the ways I came up in 20, 2009, 2010. But for the most part, man, it's worked. And now that we're getting away from that, look at look at look at what we got. Police departments are struggling to find people to come do this job. And we're struggling to keep people from leaving to go elsewhere and do something else. You know, things have consequences. The way we have conducted and carried out business the last few years in this country has led to where we are now. We're now dealing with the fallout of defunding the police and we're all dealing. We're all suffering from it. And what has this done? It has made police departments desperate. I mean, desperate for recruits, desperate for people to put on a uniform, desperate for a warm body in a uniform in a police car to fill in the gaps that we lost, that we are not able to replace because we can't get them in as quick as they're going out. And one of the people I love and follow a lot is Dave Ramsey. And one thing Dave Ramsey always says is, man, you never make a decision when you're emotional and desperate because it's never a good decision. And that is what police departments across the country have been doing. They're desperate. We're desperate. Everybody's desperate. And when you get desperate, like I said, you're going to do stupid stuff. And we're, I, boy, I got some stories about some recruits I could say right now. And I just, you know what? Because I still work here. I can't. Might be these people's partner one day. Now, and that might probably definitely going to happen. But let's just say we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, people. Scraping the bottom of the free. We're not even scraping the bottom of the barrel. We didn't pick the barrel up and we're picking up the dirt that the barrel's been sitting on. Like, yo, you want a job? That's what we're doing. And I mean, and we're just making it so easy for anybody to come be a cop. Now, there used to be some standards, you know, and now we started lowering standards in order to fill quotas, in order to fill our ranks. And that's not good for anybody. That's not good for the citizens. And that's not good for us in the streets already, because you're going to have somebody that doesn't need to be. And that's not qualified in a police uniform, carrying a gun, having a badge. And all that person's going to do is end up hurting this profession, hurting somebody that probably don't need to be hurt. And we're all going to suffer for it. And then the, the people are going to do a background investigation. They're going to do, you know, an information request. And they're going to be like, why was this person hired? And I'm going to be like, well, told you so. And I'm just going to go on about my way. But like NYPD, they started lowering their physical standards. In an article from the New York Post, it says NYPD makes fitness tests easier after increased retirements. Now, let me tell you all something. I said it earlier. I am not a physical specimen. I don't have a six pack. Trust me. Got a little gut, not much of a gut, you know, but I could still get out here and go and do my job as needed, man. I could still get out here and handle business. But I am not going to be an Olympic weightlifter. I'm not going to be a CrossFit champion. I'm not going to be number one on the run. I'm just not that guy anymore. And I'm okay with that. But when it's time to put in work in this uniform, I can get down in the dirt and get dirty. And I can do my job. Somebody needs me that's two, three miles away and I don't have a car. Guess what? I can run the two, three miles to get to them and still have enough in me to try to save that person. And if so, need be fight somebody. Like I said, I can do the job. But lowering standards puts all of us at risk. 
And you don't have to be a physical specimen to do this job, but you have to have some sort of physical conditioning, some sort of it. And man, I mean, you can't just be a complete, complete slob in my uniform. And I'm saying my uniform because this is my uniform in my profession that I have worked hard for over the years to help build a solid reputation, not just for me, but for my department and the profession overall. And I'm going to be honest, but I typically I'm a very, very nice person. I'm not just saying that because that's that's just who I am. man. I'm not a jerk. I'm not I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't like jerks. But, man, I find myself now more so having to be I'm not going to say a jerk. But I guess in today's age, if you're brutally honest with people, people are going to consider you a jerk. Yeah, but I'm finding myself more and more so having to do that with people that come up to me and say, officer, I want to be a cop. And I'm looking at you and you look like Peter Griffin. I mean, you, you your feet are so fat that I mean, your the side of your shoes are scraping the ground, bro. And you tell me you want to be a cop. You know, When I was out there the other day talking to those five homeless guys, one of them was a young man. This kid probably maybe 25, maybe he's clearly had a hard life. He says, officer, I want to be a police officer. I'm like, really? And he's a big boy. He bigger than me and he's sloppy. And I was like, yo, really? So you want to be a cop, huh? So I start prying into him. Hey, what's your history like? Now, you never been in trouble? Never been in trouble. Not once, huh? Okay. You got any mental health issues or anything? No, you're good. I was like, are you ready for the physical test? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can bench press this much and this much. Can you do push-ups? Yeah, yeah, I can do push-ups. Let me see you do five push-ups. Then he freezes as he looks at me. And I'm like, yo, no, no, no. Do five push-ups, man. No, I don't want to do no push-ups. And I'm like, man, where we're at, the ground is disgusting over there. But you know what? I was like, you know what? I don't want this guy thinking he's got a shot of being an officer in my department if he can't do five push-ups. So I'm going to sacrifice to get on this ground and do five push-ups in full uniform with this guy. And I'm looking, I'm like, yo, let's do these push-ups together. You say you want to be a cop. You think you said you're ready right now. Five push-ups. Man, we assume the front leaning rest position. This guy does, this kid just does maybe not even one and a half push-ups and i'm just over there knocking them out you know five ten fifteen twenty twenty five i'll just keep going and i got a bum left arm and like i said i ain't been to the gym in weeks because i've been so busy but i can still do the minimum requirement and i look at this kid i'm like you're not ready not even close and then i get in my car and i drive off and before i drove off you know all the, the other four guys that were sitting there they just started laughing at this kid. And like that wasn't my intent to embarrass this kid, but you embarrassed yourself. Don't tell me you want to be a police officer and you can't meet the minimum physical requirements. No, sir. I will never sign off on anybody wearing this uniform or tell you that you could do this job and be and be a cop if you can't even freaking look down and see your belt buckle. Yeah, now we're not doing it, yo. We're not like I said, you don't have to be a Olympic athlete to be a cop but you got to look like something you can't be a complete slob man and like I said I if I got to hurt feelings so be it but I'm not going to sit here and talk you up and hype you up and make you think that you could be in this uniform and be like me you can't meet the minimum standard homie not going for it so going forward now if you know anybody that wants to be a cop and you tell them to go talk to officer Pitts go talk to Dex do not send me anybody that can't do the minimum amount of, amount of push-ups because you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to get down on my knees with them and lead by example and do the push-ups. And if they can't do them, I'm going to tell them, don't put your name in the hat. You're not ready. I'm not doing it to be disrespectful, but I'm doing it to make a point. We have enough slobs on this department. I'm one of them. I ain't going to lie. I'm, I'm, I'm a slob right now. I haven't been to the gym in weeks, man. My waist has grown a little bit. I got, I got a, tons of excuses, but you know what? I always make it right. But dude, you could take me right now, put me through our POPs test, POPs test, and I would pass it. Because I have enough in me to be able to do this job. I have enough in me to where I can get it done. I say, I might not finish the top, but I can at least meet the standard. And I have a problem with people not meeting the standard and us lowering the standard to accommodate people that don't deserve to be in this uniform and that don't deserve to wear this badge. And, you know, some departments are lowering the education standard. You know, a lot of places are saying, you know, you got to have 60 college credits. And honestly, I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with people not having a college degree because trust me, I've learned over the years that having a college degree does not make you smarter, better. I know plenty of idiots with college degrees and I'm one of them. I'm not that smart. I literally, I just get by on common sense. People I'm telling you, Hey man, you give me a simple, basic math problem, bro. It's not going to get done. It's just not like, so I'm not book smart. I'm just not like, I, said, I operate solely on common sense. I look up at the sky and say, man, the sky's blue. Look at that. What do you know? Look down at my feet. Oh, look, the grass is green. Well, look at that. Hey, I'm going forward. There's a wall on my way. Well, guess what? I'm either going to climb over this wall or walk around it. I'm not going to try to walk through the wall because I say I operate on common sense. So you don't necessarily need a degree, but you need some sort of work history. I don't want to take somebody fresh out of college with four years and a degree, but no experience of that don't know how to talk to people that don't know how to deal with people. And that hasn't gone through anything. And all the time they're in college, mommy and daddy's paying all their bills. And this person feels entitled like they don't have to come to work. And then when the sergeant gets in their ass, they're going to complain, but he can't talk to me like that. I'm like, well, yes, he can. He's your sergeant. And, and I just heard something here at work the other day that one of our sergeants was told that he apparently has to be more sensitive talking to his younger officers. I saw that. Oh, well, excuse me. I heard that. And I was like, what? We're now worried about officers' feelings more than officer safety? I wasn't there for the incident, but, you know, I've heard rumors and I've heard grumblings. And yeah, I, I, man, unbelievable, unbelievable. And this is who you want coming to save you in a Uvalde situation. An officer that doesn't like being yelled at by a sergeant. What's he going to do when there's an armed gunman yelling at him? I'm about to kill you, you son of a bitch. What's that officer going to do? Take a timeout. Hey, man, listen, I. Emotionally right now, I'm just not really ready to do this, sir. If you could just put the gun down, maybe we could talk this out and hug it out. No, that's not going to happen. We're not doing that. You need to be able to put your feelings aside. And if some, if you get, you're doing something stupid, somebody needs to yell at you and get in your ass sometimes. Hell, I've been on 10 years. And guess what? Sometimes I still need it. My buddy I was talking about earlier, the young officer that went to Florida and came back. I told him, I was like, yo, you do more tactical training than me. Yo, don't feel like because I have 10 years in this job and you only have two that you can't pull me aside and get in my ass and tell me, bro, you about to get shot in the face. No, you can tell me you can tell any officer that you see doing something stupid. And if you're not listening, guess what? I'm going to raise my voice and get your attention.
And if that hurts your feelings, so oh, so be it. I'd rather hurt your feelings than see you get shot in the face and us see your spouse and your mom crying over your dead body. But like I said, that's just this is the current state of law enforcement in America, man. This is where we're at. This is what we're doing, you know, and like I said, we're desperate for people. And you know how desperate we are here at LMPD for people. If there's one thing that I hate in this life, I hate multi-level marketing schemes. Hey, yo, Dex, let me holler at you real quick, homie. Yeah, man, so let me tell you about this product I just got, right? So you just pour this in the cup right here, mix this up. Man, you're going to lose like 10, 20 pounds in like two minutes. Look at me. I look great. Like, man, yeah, you do look good. Yeah, hey, so check this out. If you go get somebody to sign up, you buy from me, and then I sign you up, you get products for free. But that's only if you get your people to sign up as well. I hate multi-level marketing schemes. But now here on LMPD, we kind of almost have a multi-level marketing hiring process. I remember when I saw the email a couple weeks ago. And it says, if you, as an officer or an employee of this department, get somebody to sign up for the police department, if they make it through a certain point of the process, you get like $400. The next part, you get another like another $200. And if they make it all the way through the end of the process in the academy, you get $1,000. And I think you could do this like up to four or five times per people. So officers on the department can now make an extra $5,000. But let's be real, after Uncle Sam come for that ass in taxes, you probably only pulling back 2,500 bucks. So yeah. Yo, but that's where we're at now. So we're now like multi-level marketing hiring. And <laughs> it's funny, but it's sad that that is what we're doing now. And I mean, and it should be this to a degree. Yo. It should be to where people that are already working here are going and vouching for the people that want to be here. No, that's that's what we should be doing. The, your best hiring is happy employees. That's your best hiring. But that's hard to do when you don't have a lot of employees and the ones you do aren't very happy. You know, they everybody sees what's going on from the outside in. You know, and the people see the money, but you know, we also see everybody on social media complaining about working here and about all the other stuff that's going on. So we can't lie to them, you know. Okay, okay. Let me go ahead and say, I know I've done a lot of ranting because I got there's a lot going on in this place that I'm not happy about right now. Just with the country in general and the profession in general in the way we're headed and trending. It's not good. But one thing I try to do now is not just complain, but I also try to help look for solutions. Sometimes it's hard to think of solutions and find solutions to complex issues. And I've always said, avoid people with simple solutions to complex problems. But the best analogy I can give right now to kind of try to help with what we got going on in this department is Tac med training, you know, tactical medicine. So if you have somebody that gets shot in their leg in a major artery, you have about one minute to stop that bleeding before that person dies out and they're dead. So the best analogy I can get for this to police department right now is the first thing we have to do first and foremost is stop the bleeding, stop the loss of officers, stop the leakage. Because what is the point in putting in fresh new blood into this place if it's just going to leak right back out we have to stop the bleeding to save the life of this department to save this city to save this profession and save this country we have to stop the bleeding that's that is priority right now as much as we're focusing on hiring new people it is pointless hiring new people into a toxic environment 
you don't take somebody that has an infection, you know, an infection in their blood and just put in new blood because the new blood is going to become contaminated with the infection as well. You have to put that person on dialysis and clean the blood out. And so that's what we have to figure out right now in this department here and across the country is how do we get the infection out of policing right now? And that's going to come back to what I was mentioning earlier, leadership. And that is leadership starting with the mayor, police chiefs, and everybody with tall brass, with the big brass upstairs, with the uh, what we call in the army the the good ideal fairy that the ideals don't necessarily seem good. Seems good to them, but when the ideal actually hits the people at the bottom, we're like, yo, what the hell? Uh, you know, some people are just been in leadership so long that they are so removed from the everyday lives of officers on the street. There's such a disconnect. And you would think that, especially in this profession, you know, that people would not forget where they come from. But, you know, after a certain point in your career, when you progress to a certain level, it's not about the troops. It's about your pension. It's about your position and it's about maintaining it and getting to the next position. So we have to get leadership that cares more about the officers. And that, when I say that doesn't mean that you just let officers do whatever and run reckless. No, 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 no. We have to, you know, you hold your officers accountable, but when they do a good job, reward them. When they're doing their job and things go awry, give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't just throw them to the wolves for politics. And you know, until we stop that, we're going to keep trending in this current direction. You know, we have an election coming up here in Louisville, you know, and I'm not feeling too hopeful about it because I just know Louisville's history. Louisville's always been Louisville. Louisville's always been progressive. Louisville's always been liberal Democrat. You know, but the thing is, until we elect leaders that are going to be tough on crime, tough on criminals and that coddling them, this cycle is going to continue. And until we put in judges that are actually going to impose sentences on people and hold and stick to them, nothing is going to change. It's just going to be more the same under the same party and policies, just with a different name on it. That's it. And you know, I want this change more than anything for my police department and for the citizens of the city and for everyone in America. I want this change for all because I think it will be a great and positive change. But guess what? I don't get to decide the change that happens in this country. You know who gets to decide the change in this country? The American people, the American voter. Voting has consequences. Who you vote for and put in the office matters. And that's why people have to do their research and have to stop being intellectually lazy and to stop just voting along party lines, man. You know, I just have to think that at certain point in time, American people have to get tired of this current crime wave and blood flowing in the streets. You know, eventually it will change and it is going to change. But uh, currently, I don't have enough faith in the American public that are living within these democratic strongholds right now where crime is rampant. I mean, they know that they, I'm not going to say that they know, but we all know on the police department what it takes to stop crime. And we can't do anything if everything we do, the mayor is putting his fingers in and the, the people financing him and the people that he has all these agreements with are leading the charge. Oh, it's just, it makes our work worthless. And like it puts the citizens in danger. 
And it puts the people that voted you in the office in danger because you keep letting these people out. And it takes the citizens in Louisville and across the country. It is going to take you all voting somebody in that cares about stopping crime. I am not the solution. You are. The American people are. I said, but you all have to get tired of the way things are now. And things are pretty damn bad. Yeah, but you no, know it seems like things being pretty damn bad it just seems to be the accepted way of life now. And it, it, it just it baffles my mind that people more people aren't marching on City Hall and complaining, man, about the number of car thefts and stolen cars and crime in the city, especially in the hardest hit areas, the minority areas in these cities, man. It, it, people just accept it as is. And then we say, well, people really love and support the police, yo, but where are you? Your vote doesn't show that. Your vote doesn't says that. Your vote says, I'm okay with this crime and the way things are right now. And I mean, I'm not, I mean, I am going to tell people, if you want to stop, guess what? Unfortunately for y'all, you're going to have to vote Republican. And I'm not saying that Republicans hold the only answer to this. All I'm saying is you're going to have to put in a candidate that is anti-crime, pro people and pro cop and it's just going to cut through the bs and call it what it is but like i said that does not happen unless the people vote i mean take florida for example florida is flourishing right now desantis is the man i mean i wish i was in florida i would tell my wife that we're gonna go but she would kill me if i moved her again but i saw an article where it says desantis fires state prosecutor who thinks he can pick and choose which laws to enforce Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has suspended leftist state attorney Andrew Warren for neglected duty. In the announcement on Thursday, DeSantis said he replaced the George Soros back prosecutor for effect effectively nullifying Florida criminal law by refusing to prosecute many crimes, encouraging lawlessness. The governor's executive order removing Andrew Warren from his job is lengthy and includes examples of his neglect. And that happened because people voted for somebody that cared about them. And now I'm not saying that the Sanders is perfect. He's going to solve everything. He's just not, there's no perfect candidate. You know, this whole binary politic thing and Democrats and Republicans, you know, I'm biased. Of course I'm conservative and Republican, yo, but that don't mean that we got all the answers and we got plenty of flaws, but in this day and age, it's just seen more and more like it's the, what's the old saying? The same bird, just a different wing. And like I said, nobody really seems to care about the American people, but DeSantis does. And he's trying to stop crime. And like I said, that's the only solution. I am not the solution. I can vote. But that's it. But man, I don't hold the power in my job. Yeah, the Constitution gives me powers of arrest and the state does. But at the end of the day, the people hold the power and the power of the vote. And if you're not voting, guess what? You're hurting yourself. And some people say voting don't matter. Well, voting does matter. It clearly does. Because if you want change, you're going to have to vote in change. And as bad as things are right now, deep down, a part of me has to believe, man, that a day of reckoning is eventually going to come. It, you know, I mean, things just cannot continue like this forever. You know, in this current state that I'm in and the current state of policing, it feels like it will be like this forever. But history says otherwise. And my life experiences tells me that it's going to change because I've seen change in my life. I've seen change in my career. I've seen change everywhere. We've all seen change. Like I said, nothing stays the same forever. 
So, you know, we got to find something to hold on to until we get to that crossroads in America and in this profession where the power lies with the people and people support the police and the police are actually putting criminals in jail and the courts are actually doing their job and the judges and they're putting these people in jail and keeping them in jail and that letting them out to reinvent and hurt people. And so that's my rant on the current state of policing, man. But transitioning, I've had my podcast over a year now. You know, things are going well. I like the way things are trending with my podcast. But there's one thing I don't like about my podcast and that it's, of course, everybody that listens knows I'm pro-cop. I'm conservative. I'm Republican. You know, I love America. And all I've ever done on this show is have people that support me in that in that argument and no nobody that's really pushed back against me to say that well this is I don't like this and you know I think you're wrong on that so one thing I've always wanted to do with this podcast is have a different point of view and a different opinion and, and so I've never wanted this to be an all and only patriot podcast because those are easy uh, those are fun man and me, me and another conservative guy and a cop or a soldier just going back and forth on what's wrong with this country and it, but never getting any pushback. So I took it upon myself. Some of y'all might think I'm crazy. I took it upon myself to reach across the aisle to a local, ooh, what you want to call him? Put it like this. He's a black satanic worshiper, anarcho-communist that hates the police with every bone in his body. Some of the pictures on his profile say things like, Always anti-fascist, always ACAB. If you don't know what ACAB is, that's all cops of bastards. I mean, you know, this dude, I mean, he is who he is, man. And the thing is, he's extremely smart, very brilliant. I'll be honest, I've been following his social media since 2016 because he's entertaining one and he's very interesting. Like I say, he says a lot of things that I don't agree with, but he also says a lot of things. I'm like, well, he's actually kind of right about that, yo. So I remember the first time I seen this cat, man, it was at our anti-abortion or pro-abortion rally in 2016 in downtown Louisville. And I seen it with a sign. I was like, man, a black Satanist. I was like, man, that is different. I ain't never seen a black Satanist before. And uh, he has a decent size following on social media. Dude, and I was like, man, and you know what? Some of the things this man says led me to believe that, you know, he might be reasonable enough to talk to. He made a video the other day about veterans and how, you know, the veterans deserve better kind of, from the government, how the Republicans turned down this bill that was supposed to be voted through to take care of veterans, yo. But, and I was like, man, so he has a heart. He's a black Satanist, but I mean, he's still a human being. And so I wanted to reach across the aisle, not to argue, not to debate. I'm tired of debating. I told him that in the email, but I wanted to have him on my podcast to get some of his ideals and see why he thinks the way he does and why he believes what he believes. So I reach out and I write him a message and on Instagram. I know I'm not going to read the message, but it was a decent sized message, you know, but I just told him how, no, I've been following him and, you know, I've been following the social media and, and I told him, I was like, man, you're extremely intelligent. Like, I really like, you know, the way you present yourself. He's like, say he, he knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about, you know? And I told him, I was like, dude, you're smarter than me. Clearly I'm not going to be able to, to debate you. So I just want to kind of understand you. And one of the things I also told him was that, man, a lot of people would disagree with me being Christian and conservative reaching across the aisle to talk to a black Satanist. And I told him that I don't care what my fellow Christians thinks or fellow officers think, because I want to have a conversation with you and see who you are as a person and what makes you tick. And I, (laughs) 
in my heart and my mind, I believe that he was going to be responsive and be like, you know, yeah, let's do this. But, oh, boy, I was completely wrong. Way. And he responded to my uh, to my message and he said, not without my lawyer, bro. And then he posted this on his social media, says, part of my language, absolutely fucking not. Remember, kids, cops always in capital letters lie. Cops never in capital letters do as they promote or promise. Cops will not keep it between you guys. Cops will never keep it off the record. Cops are not your friends. They are always looking for any way to get you to say what they think will justify an arrest. If a cop asks you that for the time, call your lawyer and put them on the speaker so they can tell him because anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. That's from the Miranda rights that they don't actually have to inform you of. Well, I would collect them on that. That is not true. We only have to inform you of your Miranda rights if you are detained and in custody. Other than that, I don't have to read you your Miranda rights, sir. So he thinks he's wrong on that one. But, you know, it's just so funny. You know, then the best part of this whole thing was the response from his friends and his followers who, as I've called on the show before, the colored hair people, they look exactly how I imagine that they would look. When I started looking at some of the <laughs> responses they were saying to his post about me reaching out to him. And one of them said, uh, not today, CIA. It's pretty funny. And one of them, which really shocked me, said, turn in your badge if you want to have conversations with the community. You can't connect if you are on the other side of that thin blue line. Really? And then this person put this comment. And I know this person from the protest. She was the extremely, extremely large white lady with swollen ankles who the protesters were only friends with her for her car. You could tell that this person has never had friends in her life. And she took 2020 as a time to make friends because she never in her life never had any. But she says, for your information, that Pitts dude was a cop, left LMPD to brutalize brown people as a Border Patrol agent, then came back to Louisville when the protest started so he could defend his brothers and sisters, police officers, and brutalize black people here. <laughs> oh, and we had another one that says, I would refuse to be a guest on the show, too. If he wants to be part of the solution, he should quit his job as an officer. And another comment said, have you seen that podcast? Sick throw up emoji. And the top top it off. I got a nice, nice message from one of his peeps from a guy here in Louisville, some old, frail, fragile, left leaning, crispy, old ass white dude with a violin in his profile picture. The best part is the way he opened up, the way he sent the message. It says, hi, Dexter, with an exclamation mark. It says black magas like slugs advocating for salt baths. All cops are bad. Everyone. My response is, um, okay, I guess. Did you sending me that message make you feel better and justified? Then he, his reply is, I'd much rather deliver it in person. You cunt. Afraid to have your profile available, little prick. You like sucking white dick so much. There it is. You know, I would be offended, but honestly, I've been insulted by way better people, a lot more intelligent people. And this guy that sent that message, I tried to message him back, but he pulled, he's insurgent tactics, man. The dude sent a message and blocked me, so I couldn't even respond. <laughs> which I thought was absolutely hilarious, but yeah, there, but there it goes, you know, just goes to show, man, some people aren't even willing to have a conversation with somebody that thinks different than them. 
And like I said, I don't think this guy's a bad guy. He's just different. And I just want to understand what makes him tick. And that's all I know. And honestly, I hope that maybe he's listening. I don't know. I doubt it. You know, but he likes it. He's got a decent sized following on his social media. You know, Some people were like, this guy's no, that officer's such a creep. He's been following him since 2016. Like, bro, if you don't want to have followers, don't be on social media. That is the entire point of social media to develop a following. And because of that, you know, of course, oh boy, he blocks me. And then, you know, the uh, black Satanist dude blocks me as well. Like they're completely turned off to having any sort of conversation. Like I said, I'm not even trying to debate, man. Just trying to hear you out. But he likes it in his world and in their world. There is no room for conversation. If it's think like us or you're not with us. And that is the most toxic way to live your life. And I mean, he's I don't want to say that they're miserable. But no, I'm going to say they're miserable people. Every last one of them that commented seemed to be miserable going through the profiles. Everybody's just complaining and crying about life. I mean, he's got one video. What made me really interested in talking to him was he was sitting in his car on his break crying saying that he don't want to go back to work, man, and that we shouldn't have to struggle so hard, people. Why do we got to struggle like this? This ain't it, man. He's like, And then he's very adamant that he shouldn't have to work in this life. He should not have to work. Nobody should have to work to exist. And I have an opinion about that, and I don't agree, but I wanted to dig into more as to why he feels this way and believes that. And I wasn't going to scold him for his beliefs. I just want to understand. But that's been my first attempt to reach across the aisle to somebody that is completely different than me. But just know, I am still open to conversation. Despite the insults and all this, I'm still willing to talk to people. And these people don't realize, man, I've been through all this for the last two years. There's nothing y'all are going to say to me that's going to hurt my feelings or make keep me up at night. You know, some people, you know, I posted on my social media. Some people are like, Dex, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I'm so sorry you went through that. Look, ladies, gentlemen, I didn't post that for y'all to feel bad about me. I just posted it to let you all know the type of people that are out here and that the fact that I want people to see that I'm willing to reach across the aisle to somebody that is completely the opposite of me and talk to them. Now, whether they return that to me, that's on them. But I want people to see that I am not so grounded and just dug in in my Christianity beliefs and being a conservative that I can't talk to anybody that's outside of my circle. I back the blue. But guess what? There's room in my life for people that don't back the blue. And that's okay. Like I said, this is not, we are not a cult. We are a country of people with different perspectives, views, and ideals. And it is okay to think different. And I'm okay with people not agreeing with me. I want to talk to people that don't agree with me because I want to learn something new. Told y'all, I'm not that smart, man. That dude's way smarter than me. I can't articulate half the things that this man could articulate about politics and philosophy because that's just not me so i get by on common sense i was hoping he could school me in on a little bit of satanicism you know what how it works and how he became that and that's all right that's it you know but like i said i guess some people are afraid of hearing somebody else's thoughts and that's the thing about social media you know they've created their own little world where they can just affirm each other and you know hey i'm he him that's she shim they you know, and they're all in on that. You know, if that's the world they want to live in, so be it. This is America. I can't force you to live any other way. Just realize eventually reality comes and reality hits. And guess what? Eventually you're going to have to live in it because you can't stay on your phone forever and your computer forever. But if you're out there listening, Dietrich, or any of your followers listening, tuning in, brother, 
I have nothing against you. I'm not mad at you, bro. He thinks I'm trying to take him to I, I, bro. I, trust me. I told him. I was like, I, I'm not a fan of the government either. We got a lot of stuff in common. You don't like Mayor Fisher. I don't like Mayor Fisher. You were not a fan of the American government. I am not a fan of the American government. See, bro, there's some neutral ground to be had. Just got to step aside, man. Put your feelings aside and be willing to listen to somebody that's different. Be willing to be offended a little bit. It's okay. It's all right, man. It ain't going to hurt you. Trust me. I got pelted by you and your people for the last two years with some of the most evil, foul stuff that I've ever had said to me. And guess what? I'm still here to talk and have a conversation. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not a bad dude, bro. Just got to give me a chance, homie. But we shall see where that ends up and where that goes. And in other news, so I'm sure everybody's been listening uh, to the news and the breaking story here in Louisville the last 24 hours. Four officers with my department, the Louisville Metro Police Department, have been arrested by the FBI in connection with the Brianna Taylor raid and incident. So because this is still an ongoing thing and information is still coming out, I'm not going to go scorched earth on anyone and anybody yet. Maybe at a later date and time, but let's just say I have personal opinions. I know some of the people involved went to the academy with one of the people involved. But let's just say let's just say I'm going to reserve judgment for a lot because innocent until proven guilty. And no, this is a very, very emotional subject. And I already see the divide that this thing is having within the department within 24 hours that you have people with their opinions and everybody can have their opinion. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't look good for the police department. Although the police department is not all guilty, but if the allegations in these indictments are correct, man, I don't even know what to say. It's I've talked to some people that were involved in the raid and they're not happy about the allegations either. And when I say they're not happy, they're not happy about what went down with some of the people involved in the warrant. So if anybody is reading or listening to this, I'm sure you've already read, read the articles and read the indictments and you can make a judgment for yourself. And it's clear that apparently somebody from the police department that's been involved in this is working with the feds. From what I have heard that somebody has taken a plea deal. So things are going to get interesting. And like I say, I'm not going to crap on anybody in this investigation until it all pans out because I don't want to say something wrong and that person is not necessarily guilty of what they're being accused of. And so I just want to be careful where I put my words and and where I put my opinion. And I know some people, man, you tiptoeing around it, bro. Why you tiptoeing? Man, because I'm not ready to make that call in front of everybody yet because there's still a lot that has to be known to come out because maybe some of this information that they're getting from somebody that's turning and you know taking a deal maybe i mean might be false i don't know i don't know i'm not saying it is i'm not saying it ain't i don't know and before i go to that point man i just i have my personal feelings and opinions on it but i will say this i said if these allegations are true man the last two years of our lives and all we have been through and i i'm almost at a loss for words if these allegations are true man i mean it all could have been avoided and it would have been for nothing over a stupid search warrant over some scrope bag drug dealers. And yes, I'm still going to say that because 
regardless of the warrant being, you know, false and all this, there's still no doubt and no denying that drugs were being sold at that location. There's still no denying that Jamarcus Glover and Breonna Taylor were involved in the drug game. That's that's a fact. I mean, we have jail calls of him talking about her in the game. I mean, you just can't deny it. So, but like I said, even then, you know, he never got a chance to go to trial. And you know, the DOJ and the FBI is in town and, you know, they were talking about the indictments. But I'm like, they just completely left out the fact that this man shot a cop, you know, and regardless. I mean, if the search warrant was stale and not right, it negates all that, you know, but and they shouldn't have been there if, that, if that's the case. But like I said, we're man, it's going to be. It's going to be some time, man, before this thing really pans out. And honestly, you got to look at the timing of this thing. If you ask me, this is absolutely political. This is 100 percent political. And a part of it's like, hey, man, if these guys did wrong. And, you know, and the truth needs to come out and justice needs to be had. Let it be had and fry them. You know, but this, like I said, the time of this is absolutely political, especially considering from what I heard that this plea deal was made like five months ago. Now, I cannot confirm that. That's just a rumor I've heard. But, you know, the timing of it being released now ahead of the midterms when the Biden's economy is sinking and the Democrats don't have a leg to stand on. This will be their only victory. Why you can't even call it a victory. It's just an indictment. An indictment is not an admission of guilt. It's not. It's just saying that there's some probable cause that some stuff might have happened, you know. But I mean, until we know for sure 100 percent and these officers go to trial and they have a fair trial and they get their chance to explain and save their half with their lawyer. I can't stand in judgment. I just can't. Like I said, I have personal opinions, but because of that, I'm going to leave my opinion to myself on this. You hit me up in the streets, bro. I'll holler at you. But I'm not doing it on a podcast right now because I'm just I'm just not ready to yet. But like I said, if the allegations are true, burn them at the stake, because a lot of people have had their lives, careers so much more changed over these last two years. And if a false warrant is the catalyst for all this, because officers, for some odd reason, wanted to lie about something, you know, hey, I ain't got nothing for them, man. Not a thing. And they, you know, they'll get what's coming to them. They'll get that justice. But like I said, I'm still like, I will never sit on the side and say, Breonna Taylor was an innocent person. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Like I say, I don't think she deserved to die. I hate that she did die. But, you know, she made her choices in life that led her to there where she was that night. And the same with the officers. They made their choices that led them to where they were that night. And the outcome, you know, because of their personal decisions personal responsibility man we all have choices in life to make if you make the wrong one it sends you down a certain path and you come to a certain ending don't be surprised same with the people during the riots and protests but like i said it's just amazing that the doj so focused on crooked cops but nobody cares about all the lies told by politicians and the government by hillary clinton and these false documents and fisa warrants and all this stuff yo but you know we just sweep certain things under the rug and only give justice to certain people you know, and like all that stuff comes back to policing, man. And all that stuff comes back to the more current issues we have with morale, the current, you know, officers being de- demoralized and dehumanized, man. It's, it's a tough time in policing right now. And you just got to ask, you know, where, where do we go from here?
you know, and it's hard to answer, you know, and I see a lot of people leaving, you know, it's so weird. Uh, you know, people ask me why I stay, why do I keep doing it? Man, I, I still love being the police y'all. That's, that's just something in me. I really feel like, you know, this uniform was my purpose is, is my purpose on this earth. You know, but it's so crazy how the people that I know, love and respect the most, you know, my friends and family. So many people keep telling me, Dex, you got to get out. You need to leave, man. This ain't worth it. And you know, it's like they hate my job more than I dislike the way things are. And I say, I don't hate my job. I just hate the current state of affairs that my job is in. I hate the current direction the country's going in. But it, at the end of the day, I like what I do. It's different how it's being done now, but, you know, I still like it, man. And I have buddies that have offered me jobs in some well-paying industries. And I've had buddies that have told me about well-paying jobs. And they send me links like, man, you could get this job, dude. Look how much you'd be making with the less stress. Yo, and honestly, I'm not. I'm not swayed by it. I'm not called to it. Just it doesn't it doesn't draw me in. I, I, people tell me you need to start a business. Like that's not what I want to do. That's not my passion. That's not my calling. You know, I have officers that hit me up on my Instagram page that asking me, you know, about if they should stay in the job and you know if they should move and do something else. You know, and I I tell people I can't answer that for anybody, but I will say this: if someone can easily talk you out of doing something that you're quote unquote passionate about or someone can talk you out of pursuing something that you really wanted to do you have to question if you ever really wanted that thing or if you were ever really passionate about it take for example after 9-11 I knew I was going to the army I was going to the infantry I was going to go fight I was going to go to Iraq and I knew the stakes were high at that time and everybody tr and tried to talk me out of it. My mother, my dad's friends in the army tried to talk me out of going infantry. Go do this. Go do that. That's not what I want to do. That's I don't want to sit in a cubicle. I don't want to be a communications guy. I don't want to be comms. I don't want to be a tanker. I want to be a grunt. I want to be with a machine gun. I want to be on the front line. Everybody tried to talk me out of it. But you know what? I was so committed and I was so drawn to being an 11 Bravo in the army, being an infantry guy, being a grunt. No one could talk me out of my passion. The thought of death did not scare me. And death was almost certain when I signed up because you knew you were going somewhere. You knew you were gonna fight. People were coming back home in body bags on the regular from the Middle East and I still wanted to go. You know, and I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say that I have not thought about saying the hell with it all right now. And just walking away from it all, just leaving this department and leaving the profession altogether. I can't lie. Nobody in this profession can. I think we all have had those thoughts and those feelings in the last few years. And it's all justified, man. It's we've it's been a crazy time. And I don't blame anyone that has made the decision to walk away from this job in this profession or this department. I don't. I mean, it, I mean, you have to at the end of the day. You have to do what is best for you and your family. My opinion don't matter. The opinion of the police chief, politicians, the public, the only opinion that should matter if you stay or go is your opinion and your family's opinion. And when I say your family, I'm talking about your wife and your kids. You know, you have to make that decision with her. You know, I can't, I can't make that decision for you. 
But I mean, just like everybody else, I mean, I know it's hard right now. I mean, it's a hell of a time to be in this profession, man. It's exhausting. I mean, we're short almost every night. We're overworked. I mean, tired. I mean, we are just falling apart at the seams, man. And some days I'm, I, it's hard to get up and go to work because it's just like, I know what today's going to bring. But for some odd reason, I still get up and I still go forward. And as I'm driving to work sometime, I have those thoughts. Is it worth it? And why do I keep doing this? You know, I battle the hopelessness and the frustration every shift. Every call I respond to and every news article that I see that comes out that's about the police you know, stills a bit of my soul. You know, and it stills a bit of my morale. But I'm still here. I fight feelings every day of leaving. I fight feelings every day of, you know, just trust in the administration, trust in my, you know, my leaders. <sighs> I'm, I'm battling the same thing that everybody else is battling. There's nothing special about Dexter Pitts in this uniform that is unique to just me. I am fighting the same battle each and every last one of you are. I'm constantly questioning a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, I remember how bad I wanted this job. And this was the only job I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I did this job for eight years and I walked away from it, still doing law enforcement, but in a different capacity and came back to where I originally started. And I since I've been back, I do not regret coming back. I don't. This is my home. LMPD is my home. You know, and, and I tell people all day that listen to the podcast and they hear me. I was like, man, you don't hear me crap on this department. I might crap on certain individuals and not necessarily crap. As I say. You know, I'll fart in their direction and hope the wind gives them a little gust of it. But I'm not necessarily on here crapping on people because you don't walk into your own house, pull down your pants, pants and crap on your own couch and then sit in it and then complain. No, I'm not going to do that. But, you know, I realize that, like I said, this is my home and I care about the officers. I care about the people in this city. I care about this department, even though this department might not feel the same way about me, but. You know, you can never expect the government agency to love you and see the value in yourself and you. You have to find you have to love you enough to keep doing this job and you have to find the value in yourself because this place is never going to let you know how valuable you are because you are expendable and replaceable. You know, but then I think about all the people leaving and I think about this one thing. Someone has to do this job and not just someone. But someone who actually cares about the profession, the people, the officers in America. And who better than me? You know, the Bible verse, who shall I send? Send me, Lord. That's why I'm still here, man, because I care. You know, this is bigger than me. This is bigger than what I want. This is, you know, this is about making a better city and a country for my kids, man. This is about ensuring that this profession goes on and that there are people still in this profession that care. Because if I leave out and we're hiring scumbags and people that don't care as much, you know, this profession is going to crumble. And I'm going to do my best while I'm here to try to help hold it up and prop it up and keep it on life support. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. But the truth is, man, when this all ends and like I said, eventually where we are currently in this profession in this country, it's going to end. Something's going to change for the better, for worse. I don't know. Something's going to change. 
and like I said, a day of reckoning is eventually coming. And personally for me, I want to be able to hold my head up in my uniform and stand before my friends and family, the community, my fellow officers, and be proud that I and we, those of us that stayed here, that we made it through one of the most daunting and difficult times in this profession. I want to be tougher than the circumstances that are currently affecting us and impacting us. I want to be proud of the fact that I was able to endure the hardships we've all faced and to help guide and steer the ship back on the right course. You know, when everybody's gone from this profession and there's only a few of us still here and it's time to rebuild, I want to be one of the guys at the front of the line. I want to be one of the guys that's there. I want to be the guy that's there to regain the trust and confidence of the community. That's the guy I want to be. I don't want to retreat because it's hard. And like I said, I'm not going to look down on anybody that does decide it's too hard. It's too much. And it's just not worth it. You know, cause I keep seeing people posting online that aren't even cops, citizens saying, just walk away, just walk away, man. You're crazy if you're staying. And you know what? Maybe I am crazy. Maybe those of us that don't want to leave are crazy. You know, if if I walk away, who's going to show these young officers how to be resilient? Who's going to show these young officers how to endure this bull crap? And like I said, I'm not always the best best example. I try to be positive, but it's been real hard lately to be positive. But I also realize that people are still watching me, listening to me. People tell me all the time how much of an impact I'm having with my podcast and you know it's just sometimes I think it's not people aren't hearing me people aren't listening but apparently people are and man to anybody that's still in this uniform and in this profession right now dude if you're gonna stay just keep holding on man just from one call to the next one shift to the other man we will make it through all of this eventually and together like I said things can't stay as bad as they are for the long haul the long term I mean, America, since our inception, we have constantly self-corrected. Look at how America started out to where America is now. We have constantly self-corrected. You know, I'm, I'm actually I'm trying to pump myself up and hype myself up with this speech because you know, I, guess I have moments where I'm hopeless. I have moments where I have lost faith. I have moments where I have just kind of wanted to go home and cry. Because I just hate the current state of policing and I hate seeing in my department the way it is currently because this is not the department I know. And it's hard. So you all out there still serving. Guess what? You're not alone. We are all suffering together. You know, there's nothing better than I was talking to somebody else from Indianapolis earlier today. And we was just talking about the craziness on our departments like, man, yeah, it ain't just here. It's everywhere. Talk to another guy that's an officer in San Francisco. And I'm just like, damn, bro. And as bad as I think it is here, it's a lot worse in other places. A lot worse. You know, I'm, I'm very, I tell I'm not ashamed to say that I've been extremely emotional. I've been in my feelings. And, you know, I said, maybe I am a damn fool for sticking around. But deep down in my soul and my gut, something is telling me that eventually at the end of all this, we are all going to be all right. 
you know, the thin blue line has grown extra thin. But those of us still holding the line, but we just got to hold our hands tighter together, man. Pull it together. Continue to hold each other up. Like I said, we have enough enemies coming after us with politicians and the media. The last thing we need is to start turning on each other. Like I said, when it's time to hold each other accountable, let's hold each other accountable. But when it's time to pull together and hold on, dude, my God, we need to hold on to what we got. Because it feels like we are in this major battle and we are holding this last piece of ground in the battle. And if we all just lay down our arms and walk away, we will lose the entire war. Just like the 300 Spartans, man. Hold up your shields. Form a circle. Watch your buddy's back, man, and hold the freaking line, dude. Just keep holding, man. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. Trust me. I'm right there with you. But remember, remember why you started to do this job. And remember the United States Constitution. Think of America. We say it's not worth it, but what is America worth to you? Because dude, you still got to live here. You still have a community to live in. So we all have stake in this thing called America and how we serve America is different from for each of us and how I'm going to continue to serve America and the people is in a police uniform. So no matter how many job offers I get for civilian jobs that pay all this money and less stress and I'm not interested in leaving. I'm not ready. Just not ready yet. Feel like Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not freaking leaving. So I'm here for the long haul, man. And if you're here with me, hey, let's do it together, man. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been the I Am Pitts podcast. Like I said, pardon the voice. Your boy's struggling with the with the crud in my throat. Man, I make the voice sound good, though. Like I need to put out an R&B album or something. You know what I'm saying, ladies? Nah, my wife probably gonna listen to that and get mad. I think I got somebody on the side. Nah, it's just you, girl. It's just you. Yeah, but thank you all for tuning in to this episode. And like I say, pardon the absence. And like I say, I can't promise when I'm gonna come back, but I'm gonna do my best to keep putting episodes out there. So like I said, man, we just it's like I said, it's a rough time right now, man. Priorities right now are not the podcast. It's not because I don't love and don't care about y'all, but. It's just a lot going on, man. And I got to do what's best for my family first and foremost and what's going to make me money. And this podcast and these books ain't making me money. But like I said, this is more of a hobby. And I get more out of this trying to encourage people, especially officers and veterans. So, you know, keep tuning in. Tell your friends about the show. If you could leave me a review on Apple iTunes because I'm expecting some angry leftists to start coming on, leaving very, very bad reviews about this self-hating Uncle Tom Coon-ass Negro named Officer Dexter Pitts of the Louisville Metro Police Department that just hates himself for being black. So like I said, if you could help me balance out those negative reviews that might be coming my way. And if you hear anybody talking crap about your boy, tell him. I bet you wouldn't say it to Dexter's face in person without all your friends behind you because you know what time it is, dog. You're scared without all your buddies. Me, I ain't afraid to roll solo dolo. And be the only one in the room that thinks and feels and believes the way I do, no matter who I'm around. So, but like with that said, also, 
I am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. My book is out. If you could, hey, you want something to do, man? You're bored. It's been hot. Sit in the air conditioning and read a good book. I was almost done with the audio book. Then I got sick. And so I can't read until I get my voice back to its original sound because I don't want to mess up the audio book. So it's almost done. I got two more chapters, man. And also, I don't know if you all remember, but one of the first episodes I did, I had some people from the Roy Williams Foundation in which I am a member of the foundation. I am a sit on the board. And so the mission of the Roy Williams Foundation is to prevent and end suicide within the veteran and first responders communities by renewing life's purposes, instilling hope and fostering a community where they have access to the camaraderie of service. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's a 5013C. They are a bunch of great people. You know, we meet once a month and have meetings. And let me tell you, the Roy Williams Foundation cares about Americans, veterans and first responders. And this foundation sees the need to try to help officers and veterans in their worst days. Well, not just officers, but, you know, first responders in general. And we've lost one too many to suicide over the years. So if you could, if you want to help and be an asset to the veteran community and the first responder community and those struggling, I'm asking that you go to RoyWilliamsFoundation.org and click on the donate button and please donate to this wonderful organization. I mean, I know times are hard. I know the economy's bad and gas is high. But man, if you can just give a dollar, just a dollar something, it all goes a long way and it will be greatly appreciated by those of us on the board and the veteran community and those that have used the services. All right. So with that said, man, I'm going to go ahead and hop off of here because this has been a lot longer than I intended, but my God, that is what happens when you are gone for three weeks and you got to stack up your emotions and all your opinions. And you just let it all out in one episode. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been the I am Pitts podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate each and every last one of y'all. I missed you all. But hey, like I said, I'll be back for another one and I will see you on the next one.